Life Point Church, how you guys doing today? Come on, you glad you came today? On this freezing cold June day, man, it's gonna get hot, hot, hot this week, but praise God, we cranked the AC for you a little bit better today. Praise the Lord, right? We're glad you're here. My name's Mike, my wife Stephanie and I are so honored to serve as pastors of the church here along with our team. We love having first time guests. Can we say welcome to our, our guests today, everybody? Come on, you heard about that. You heard about that QR code. If you would take a moment and just scan that QR code, whether on the screen or on the seat back in front of you. And seriously, we'd love to connect with you. We promise not to harass you uh, or show up to your house unannounced, but we do wanna give you some next steps for you as you connect to our church. And uh, also everybody joining us online and at our Austin Peay State University campus, we love, love that we get to do this in a lot of different places. In fact, if you're watching online, tell us where you're watching from around the world. Just type it in the chat. We'd love to say hello to you as well. Thank you guys, as always, for being a truly generous church. I, I always wanna come at you with a posture of thank you, thank you, thank you, and gratitude. The Apostle Paul numerous times would thank the churches for the things they were doing well as he was writing letters to them. And twice he thanked churches for generosity. Uh, in, the, in the letter to the Philippians, he said, I'm not after your gift, I'm after what we can do with your gift. And I'm so thankful that it's gonna have, uh, it's gonna pay dividends on the lives of other people. So thank you, we're a church that believes in Tithing, we give our first 10%, we give it to the Lord and we give it through his church. That's God's plan. And uh, we believe in that. And we also teach that giving beyond that is an offering. So we give to missions projects, we give to certain special events and uh, things like that. In fact, this week your giving helped. A team was in Dallas, Texas at the Lonesome Dove Ranch, which is a summer camp for kids in the foster and adoption system in Dallas, particularly kids in the foster care system because of negligence and abuse. And uh, we had a team of 10 down there serving those kids. We got another team going for another round of camp next week. And we're so thankful. Your giving helped make that happen. Also, uh, of course, Summer Blast was a big hit. Our family conference this weekend. And we're so thankful to our team, the uh, Kid Point team and our events team. Come on, let's give it up for them. They did a great job with our Summer Blast. It was great. And again, your generosity helped make that happen. And it was a blessing to a lot of families. We're in a fun season as a church. Summertime's a great time for us to really increase opportunities for outreach and for missions. And our missions pastor, our outreach director, they're working really hard to increase the opportunities for you to have serve opportunities or to go on short-term mission trips. It's one thing to be a praying church. It's another thing to be a giving church, and you are, but we wanna be a sending church. We wanna be a go and do something kind of church. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Just lie to me if you're not interested. Just say amen, all right? Um, this summer, July 16th, everybody say July 16th. We have our Summer Serve Day, and we can't wait to be a blessing to our community. I'd love for you to sign up for a project, whether it's you and your, your neighbors rally around, maybe a, a widow or somebody in the neighborhood to re-landscape their house, or you're gonna paint something at the county courthouse or whatever, with permission, not graffiti, okay. Uh, <laughs> we're just out here for the church. Put a big L in a box. That'd be great, actually, tag the whole downtown. Don't do that, Jesus. July 16th is our summer serve day. Register a project with your small group, with your family, or get on our website and join an existing project. We have mission trips happening, and uh, we have a team just come back from Mexico. And uh, because of your giving, we're able to do more and reach more people. In fact, it's a life-changing opportunity for you. I wanna challenge you uh, in the next 18 months or two years, you go on a short-term mission trip. Whether we plan it or you plan it, we come around alongside you. We'd love to help you get you and your family, maybe you and your spouse and your kids, or you and your small group, or you and your buddies in your company or your dorm. Let's go on a short-term trip. And I promise it'll do a lot of great things in your life. In fact, when we were in Mexico with our students last week, 
We had a dad who went kind of as a, as a leader and a chaperone and his two teenage daughters went on the trip and they were the ones baptized in Mexico last Sunday on Baptism Sunday. Their lives were forever changed as well. In fact, I wanna show you a quick highlight from our trip to Mexico. Check out this short highlight video. And again, thank you for your giving to make this happen. There's the houses you helped build. Thank you for your giving. And those families are so blessed. And uh, before we left, we fully furnished and gave them a bunch of groceries and thank you for your generosity. All right, turn with me in the book of Acts to the book, uh, the chapter, the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible or uh, you don't have a good reading Bible, we'd love to give you one if you're new to the faith and you need a good Bible to read. We have one available for you at this location at our big red wall or in our bookstore. Also, if you're online, we can send one to you, but it's the same version and translation that I preach from. Now, if you just keep forgetting your Bible, go get your own. Don't come taking these. But uh, we'd love to give you one if you're a new follower of Christ, especially when we have a Bible reading plan and some what now kind of next steps for you. And again, that's available for you at our Big Red Wall and in our bookstore. I've titled the message, Standing Strong No Matter What. Standing Strong No Matter What. Now, as you're turning there, let me just ask you a question. Have you ever had to stand up for something that was right even if you felt like you were standing alone. Maybe it was for a principle or some, something to do with faith or maybe it was some, uh, like, like some way of doing something or a decision and you were the only one that was in agreement on that but you knew it was right and you had to stand for it even standing alone. Anybody ever been in that situation before? Have you ever been in a situation where you had to stand against something that was wrong but everyone else was like, hey, don't worry about it, just turn a blind eye to it or just don't, worry, don't make it your business but you knew it was wrong and you felt like you had to stand alone, it was unpopular and uncomfortable. Anybody ever been in that situation before? Well, re realistically, many of us are used to standing strong in certain cultural things, right? Like our political position or maybe arguing points on certain cultural issues. If you're not, if, if you're not familiar with people standing strong on issues, go on social media, right? And so um, I, I want to encourage you, please don't lose your witness and lose your soul because you're trying to win an argument on social media. But anyway, um, maybe you're a, a good advocate for someone or you're, you're a defender of good and you like to hold the line and stand up for others when they're being wronged. My mentor tells me that I have a strong justice orientation. That is, I, I have a high demand and expectation that people do the right thing and don't wrong other people. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a good friend to have if you're uh, in a fight and you're being picked on. My wife says I should have been a lawyer, especially when we're in an argument, which is usually always my fault. But I like to, I like to stand for truth and I like to stand for justice and, and I can't stand it when people are being taken advantage of and I like to, I'm willing to stand up for that. I grew up in a social worker's home. Justice is, is part of our family 
uh, DNA. But I'm wrestling through this question for us as a church. How are we doing at standing up for God? Standing up for the Lord, standing up for the gospel. How are we at standing up for the truth of scripture and the truth of the Christian witness, especially in a culture that is more and more hostile against God and the church and the truth of the gospel? How are we doing at sharing truth in a time when it seems more and more unwelcome or that truth is fluid and truth is relative and truth is changing? As a church, let me just encourage you that you are doing this in some ways. Every time you give, Part of your giving, you know, you're helping support ministries that are standing up for others, for the marginalized, the oppressed, the infant, the victim. Hope Pregnancy Center is a local care center organization built on the idea that babies are a gift from God and they stand, that they want to stand up for those babies' rights to have a life. And we partner with Hope Pregnancy Center in order to stand for the right to life for them. Free International is one of our partners who works really hard at finding and rescuing women and children trapped in human trafficking, sexual trafficking, and exploitation. They're based in Vegas, but they've been here multiple times. We go on trips with them, and you're giving partners with Free International to stand up for victims of human trafficking. Both of these organizations, pregnancy care centers around the country and uh, trafficking organizations are taking a ton of attack and pressure right now because they're standing up for marginalized people. And there are literally lies about the, the unborn children and lies about trafficking and it's not a big deal and it's all media hype. But listen, we're gonna stand with them because they're standing well for right things, right? I think our church preaching the Bible verse by verse instead of just following the Hallmark calendar or teaching what makes you feel good, we're preaching verse by verse, letting God's word speak into our lives and culture. How many of you know there's times we come to a text and we're going, oh man, that stings, that's hard but we're standing strong for God's word and standing strong with the truth of God's word, even against the cultural pressures we're feeling today. Well, I'm gonna ask you a question and I'm gonna push you hard today in the message. I'm just gonna tell you, uh, the first two parts of the message are from the text. Then we're gonna leave the text. I'm gonna get my preach on. Y'all ready for that? Like I'm gonna go old school. I'm, I'm gonna call up an organist. We're gonna get the towels. We're gonna shout. I need my amen corner in the room somewhere. Just shout me down. But we're gonna preach because I'm gonna ask you some hard questions. Have you decided in your life that you're gonna stand strong for God no matter what? That you're gonna stand strong for the truth of God's word and the gospel, even if it costs you something, even if it's unpopular? Have you decided that for you and your house and your family and your, 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 your roommates that we're gonna stand for God for the gospel and the power of God, even if others disagree, even if others are antagonistic, even if it gets you canceled? Jesus dealt with this challenge. The devil tried to tempt him to compromise. His own disciples at times would tell Jesus, you don't have to do that, man. And then of course the prevailing culture, the Roman pagans and the, the Pharisees were attacking Jesus, trying to get him to stand down, not to stand up. The disciples dealt with this challenge. In doing ministry, they came against challenge after challenge after challenge. They were thrown in prison, they were beaten, they had all kinds of attacks challenging their willingness to stand up for God. So there's no question that you and I will be challenged with this, but what's your decision? Have you decided that you're gonna stand strong for God no matter what? The Apostle Paul, we're picking up in Acts chapter 16, has a recurring pattern of revival and then riots. He does great things for God and then they do bad things to him. And the Apostle Paul would suffer serious attack in the text today because he was standing up for Jesus. He was standing up for a young girl who couldn't stand up for herself. And we're gonna see that in doing that, 
He, he goes under intense pressure and attack, but he didn't let that stop him. He kept standing for Jesus no matter what. Pick up with me in Acts chapter 16, and we're gonna ver- go to verse 16. And if you don't remember where we are, Paul is now traveling with Luke, who's the writer of this letter, this book of Acts. And he's also got Timothy, a son in the faith, and Silas, who he picked up after Barnabas went a different direction with John Mark. If you're new to this series, we've been in the book of Acts for 14 months. And so you can go back on our podcast or website on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever, and, and catch up on the series. But if you remember last week, they, were, they had some doors shut. They wanted to go here, but God said no. And they wanted to preach here, and God said no. And then God opens the door for them in Macedonia, and that's where they met Lydia. And when they met Lydia, they witnessed to Lydia, and she became a follower of Jesus. Her and her whole family get saved. And then Lydia insists that they base their ministry out of their home. So in following God, God opened doors, and God provided for them. Then we pick up in the next text. They're in Macedonia and their original plan was to go to this place of prayer and that's where he met Lydia. Well, then we pick up in verse 16 and we're gonna start with this idea that we're gonna do the hard, right thing. If we're gonna stand for God, if we're gonna stand strong no matter what, we have to first do the hard, right thing. I've been a pastor here for 12 years this month. Stephanie and I have been here 12 years at the end of this month. My, what a different church it is. But since pastoring here, I've learned quite a few expressions used by our soldiers. I love pastoring in an army town. I've also learned a lot of acronyms. And uh, whenever you guys talk to me in acronyms, sometimes I give you a confused look. But one of the expressions I learned early on was from a friend of mine named Jason. He's a special operations pilot and he was a board member for a while. And, And he and I were talking through some issues with the board and with the church and the direction we were going and some decisions we made, had to make. And I'll never forget Jason said, hey, we have an expression in the 160th. We always do the hard right thing. And I'll be honest with you, it's a powerful mantra to live by. It's something I've picked up in my own language. It's something we should all live by, honestly, especially as Christians. You should teach this to your kids. You should live by this in your character. Like always do the hard right thing with your faithfulness, with your purity, with your relationships, with your money, with your time. Always do the hard right thing. Don't look for blurred lines. Don't look for loopholes. Do the hard right thing. And the Apostle Paul was wired for this. If you remember, he was an evangelist, a preacher, a church planner, and God used him in miracles. So here he is now in Macedonia, and after he's met Lydia and they're preaching, it says in verse 16, as we were going to that place of prayer, this is what I love about Paul. He's trying to do a good thing. He's going to a prayer meeting. As we're going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Let me just unpack this for a moment. Whenever the Apostle Paul entered into a city, he would start in a synagogue. He would begin his ministry with the Jewish leaders. But now he's headed to a prayer meeting. In last week's text, we saw he's headed to a prayer meeting and he met a bunch of the praying women there, the leading women of the town, and he led Lydia to Christ. Now he's going to a prayer meeting again, and this young girl is a slave to some of the locals. How many of you know slavery is always bad? Slavery is always terrible. And she had an evil spirit. Now the writer here says that she had a spirit of divination. Now that's a nice way of saying she was demon possessed. She had a demon spirit in her. Listen, fortune telling, palm reading, future telling, that is never a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's always a demonic spirit. You don't need to engage with palm readers and tarot card readers and all that garbage. It's a spirit of divination and it's evil. It's not from God. God wants to lead you by by his Holy Spirit and by his word, he doesn't need to lead you by palm readers and mystics. So it's an evil spirit, it's a spirit of divination, she was demon possessed, and she's also a slave. And notice the text says that she had a spirit of divination and she brought her owners much gain 
by fortune telling. So essentially she was a slave. She was trafficked into this life. She's got a demon. Somehow she was demon possessed and the use of her as a demon possessed slave produced financial gain for her owners. She was a slave used by her owners to make money. So it says that she followed Paul and us, Luke again writing, she follows Paul and us crying out, look at what the demon possessed slave girl says. These men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way, not a way or a possible way, the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. I just wanna pause and acknowledge a demon-possessed woman clearly recognized the Holy Spirit working through Paul and his friends. You gotta know, church, listen to me. You have authority and power from God on high and the devil should take notice when you show up somewhere. Notice that Paul didn't walk around with a business card going, hey, I'm Apostle Paul, I'm here to do church planting, it's a ministry, I'll be down by the square today in the bell in town, I'll be preaching. He walks by a slave girl with a demon and the demon realized those are men of God. They're men of the most high God. And look what she says. They're preaching the only way of salvation. Why does the devil do a better job at announcing the man of God than sometimes we do in our own lives? Why does the demon spirit recognize when a man of God shows up, but some of us wanna hide our faith and we wanna hold it closed? Listen, does the devil even notice when you're awake? Like I'm wrestling through this question with our pastors on Tuesday, I go, man, does hell even take notice when we start walking around? I'm telling you what, man, the devil should know there's a man of God, there's a woman of God, there's a student with the spirit of God walking in authority. The hallways of this school don't get to be the same because that kid who knows Jesus is alive and well. Are you and I a threat to the devil at all? So she kept doing this for many days. Can you imagine how Paul's like in this town for a few days and he's going to synagogue, he's going to prayer meeting and this demon-possessed slave girl keeps going, these are men from the most high God. They're preaching the only way to salvation. So then it says, Paul became greatly annoyed. I'm puzzled by that for a couple of reasons. Like when I first read it, I'm like, is it how she said it? These men I work for God. You know, like, are they picking on him? I don't think that's it, we don't know. I'm just making that up. Was he annoyed because she was stealing his thunder? Hey, I'm gonna tell who I am, you ain't gotta talk about me. Or maybe Paul was annoyed because a young girl who's made in the image of God is bound by a demon and living in slavery. And he knows that Jesus died to set her free. Maybe the people that challenge you and ruffle your feathers and grate on your nerves, who live in a lifestyle that you don't agree with, can become a part of your prayer list because you should start seeing them with compassion. But they need the Lord and Jesus died for them. Amen. Paul became annoyed. And then watch what he does. He turned and said to the spirit, Notice he didn't turn and speak to the girl. And church, can I tell you one of the things that we've done wrong? We've damned people instead of damning what controls people. 
We've condemned a sinner instead of condemning the sin that they're living in. We've looked at the person and, and made them equal to their issue instead of saying, there's a lying spirit in you that I'm praying out of you. There's a, there's a sexual, immoral, controlling thing that's going on in your life. And God loves you, but he hates what's in you. God loves you, but he doesn't want that to control you. Notice that Paul didn't speak the girl's name. He didn't call her out. He called the demon out of her. He speaks to the spirit. Look at this. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, not in his own authority, not by his own logic or reasoning. He didn't argue 10 points of why she shouldn't have a demon. He stood on the authority of Jesus and he said, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. Why? Because we love her, but we hate what you are inside of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Hey church, stand for God, stand strong no matter what. He was annoyed at the fact that this young girl needed to be set free and her oppressors were exploiting her oppression instead of setting her free from that oppression. That would annoy me too. How long do we settle? How long do we put up with people being abused and taken advantage of before we stand flat-footed and say, devil in the name of Jesus, get your hand off of them. Man, stand for God no matter what. But look, it was risky. Paul is the new guy. He doesn't have 12 years of history. He doesn't have a tenure. This lady was a slave, which means she was the financial asset to someone else. In this culture in particular, Slavery was so rampant. How many of you know if you mess up somebody's income or way of life, you've created a major problem? So for Paul to call that demon out of the girl was risky for him, but it was right. It was right in God's eyes, and it was right for her to be healed, to be delivered from a demon. Can you imagine, like I think of this girl, we actually don't see anything else about her in the scripture, but I'm a dad with daughters. Can you imagine this young girl's dad? One day, she's stolen from their family and brought into slavery, or she's sold into slavery and trafficked into this life. I'm sure more than divination, she was probably used in sex slavery, bond servitude. Could you imagine her coming home one day to her family with bright eyes and joy in her life and no more demonic oppression? because God set her free. I don't know about you, but that warms my heart to think of the life she could have been living and was living, how terrible it was and how terrible it would have been. But now that God sent Paul into her life, God set her free. What an amazing testimony. And listen, you and I, because of the spirit of God in us, church, we have the potential to do the same good for people today. You have the potential to impact lives forever. Those two girls who were baptized on our mission trip because you helped send them on the trip. The family that has a home forever because we made a difference in their lives. You and I have the potential to change entire generations because we will stand for God no matter what. So I wanna challenge you in every area, always do the hard right thing. Look at your relationship status right now and decide are we doing the hard right thing or the easy wrong thing? Are we living outside of God's will? Are we walking in integrity or compromise? When you think about the blurred lines of your job, you can cheat on that report, you can take a little off the top. Are we standing in integrity even when you're tempted to find a loophole and blur the lines? 
Stand for those who can't. Stand for themselves. Even if it costs you something, do the hard right thing. Now, that brings me to the second point. Do the hard right thing, and it can cost you. Do the hard right thing can cost you. All of us love to get out of stuff. We learn it as kids. We love to blame shift. We love to beg and plead and ask our parents for forgiveness. And we do that as grown-ups. But man, do the hard right thing, even if it costs you. How many of you know your pastor's human? And I'm, I think the sheriff's department knows me a little too well because of my driving habits and my hunting habits. I've gotten a ticket for poaching. I wasn't poaching. I was shooting legally, but the deer crossed the boundary to the next property. I didn't know where the boundary was and neither did my bullet. <laughs> but I poached and I'm with a friend from church hunting and I said to him in that moment, though one of the game wardens had been to our church. He's like, I know you, you're Pastor Mike. I'm like, just give me my ticket, shut up. Like, but I was tempted to say, hey, bro, has anyone prayed for you? You know, like, I wanted to go there. And I said to my friend, I said, you make sure I speak with honesty here. Because I know how to massage and how to use my leverage as my personality. I don't know why I did that little hip shake. I don't know, that was weird. I didn't do that for the game warden, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Let's move on. I got a ticket for running a stop sign. Right in front of the church. That stop sign. Let me tell you how godly that whole story was. I was going to a cabin to pray for you. I was gonna spend a whole day in prayer. And I was on the phone with our bookkeeper about giving some money to missions. I'm on the phone. You ever notice people still do this? Nobody has these phones anymore. I'm on the phone, I'm driving, and I roll through that stop sign. I've done that never before. And I rolled through that stop sign. And the sheriff's deputy was rolling right down the street. And I'm on the phone with Judy. I was like, I got to go. And he flashed his lights at me like it's bright. And I start slowing down. And he zips a big old U-turn right there in front of my church. I pass him. I pull off in a parking lot. I get my license registration, my insurance card. And he walks up and I hand it. I don't even say anything. So here you go, man. He goes, do you want to know why? I said, I know why. I ran the stop sign. And he goes, yes, you did. Go here, just give me my ticket. And I didn't say, I'm going to a prayer meeting. Just do the hard right thing even when it costs you. And then he's looking at my stuff and he goes, hey, aren't you the, and he points at the church. I was like, yes, <laughs> give me my ticket. But I could have leveraged that and go, yeah, bro, I'm going to a prayer meeting and I was on the phone bookkeeper, give the missions, have pity. Do the hard right thing even when it costs you. Stand for God when it's not popular. Take, take the consequence sometimes that it takes to like, hey, I gotta move out from, with my girlfriend because we're not married. I gotta do the hard right thing. I gotta get another apartment. Hey, I gotta quit cheating on my taxes. And it's gonna cost me and I'm gonna do the hard right thing. Y'all hear what I'm saying today? Because as the body of Christ, our world needs us to be a strong church who stands strong no matter what. Now watch what happens to the apostle Paul. He delivers a girl from a demon, sets her free from slavery, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, notice the writer doesn't say, but when the owners realized their slave had been set free and delivered, they had no concern for her. When the owners saw their hope of gain was gone. By the way, oppressors are always greedy. 
That should never surprise you. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that aren't lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Now pause and just think about this. Paul and Silas did an amazing thing for this girl and they immediately began to lie about Paul. He never did what they said. He didn't disturb the city. He's healing the city. They didn't advocate for unlawful practices. Hey, let's have a coup. Let's overthrow the government. Let's uncats. He didn't say anything crazy. He never did the things they accused him of. How many of you know people will lie about you? People will lie about you when you do the right thing. They'll falsely accuse you of being a prude or a, 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 a crook. They'll twist your life to take advantage of you and they falsely accuse Paul, but still do the right thing anyway. People accuse Christians and Christianity of all kinds of things. The rulers accuse Jesus of all kinds of things. That's how they justified putting him on a cross, his lies. People say Christians hate all blanks people. You know, they hate gay people. They hate Democrats, they hate Republicans. They hate lost people. Christians hate black people. Christians hate Hispanic people. I don't know any Christians that hate people. If you're a Christian who hates people, you're not a Christian. But listen, we don't hate people. We don't hate people. If you're a part of this church and you got a list of folks you hate, find another church or get saved. We don't hate people, but we don't like what they do. We don't hate adulterers, but we hate adultery. We don't hate abortionists, but we hate abortion. We don't hate sinners. We just don't like sin in people. And that's what Paul said. I don't hate this girl. She's a slave with a demon, but I call the demon out of her. They will lie about you. They'll say, Christians are only after your money. We're not after your money. We don't have a vault of coins like Scrooge McDuck. What are you talking about? <laughs> We're after mission. Amen. We're after building houses for families. We're after rescuing girls out of human trafficking. We're after seeing babies come alive. We're after building churches to preach the gospel. Well, you know, all Christians are judgmental hypocrites. I don't know what kind of Christians you hang out with. I don't hang out with those kind of Christians. I haven't even started preaching, y'all. I'm about to get off on this in a second. But I want to tell you, keep living for God no matter what the world tells about you. Keep living for God. Well, Christians are closed-minded bigots. They're just narrow-minded. Yeah, I'm narrowly minded towards Jesus. Woo! And it's an open road for everyone to come this way to Jesus. It's always been hard to live for God in a world that doesn't. Get used to it, but keep living for God anyway. People didn't understand the good Paul did. They saw their greed more than her good. She was delivered from a demon and healed. That's how oppression works. Somebody's always getting rich off somebody else's pain. Stand for the good and the right anyway. In verse 22, it says, the crowd joined in and attacked them. The magistrates tore the garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. That's, that's uh, showing us the same kind of beating that Jesus went through. A beating with rods was 39 beatings. It was 39 times that they would flog you and beat you, break bones, smack your eyes open. You're bleeding consistently everywhere, bruised and battered. They gave orders to tear their clothes off, shaming them, beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received the order, he put them in the inner prison. So like a, uh, a solitary confinement with no windows. Talk about the price to pay for doing good. They were beaten multiple times, put in prison. Next week, we're gonna look at the text where Paul's in prison. And by the way, I can imagine Paul limping into prison, one eye shut with blood, his arms are all twisted, he got broken collarbones, and he's like, okay, guys, let's pray. <laughs> Pass the hymnal, oh God, is it awesome, God. I mean, he starts a prison ministry. By the way, pray with us, church, us as a church family. 
We're working with Montgomery County Jail to get into the jails and to do ministry there. Pray with us. We're asking for open doors to be in the jail every day, every week to bring the gospel there. But they did a miracle for God and for this lady and it cost them a lot. Their lives were at risk. Their health and safety was at risk. They're thrown into a prison, probably with no uh, rubbing alcohol to heal their wounds, infections and rats, all for a miracle. So let me just ask you a challenging question. What does it actually cost you to serve God? I mean, in America, in the West in particular, it's the most comfortable generation ever. We have little digital units on the wall that can keep the temperature within one degree of itself. You, you ride around in metal space boxes on four wheels with sound and phones that sink and temperature controlled and we don't ever have to get wet in the rain or hot in the summer. I mean, what is it? We don't suffer. What does it cost you to serve God? to promote his gospel, to stand for truth and integrity with your relationships and, and at your job? What's it cost you to do anything significant for God? Has it cost you your reputation? Has it cost you with family and friends? I've got family and friends that have, they, they don't want anything to do. They don't believe in what I believe in. They don't, they don't care about it. They don't respect it. And they don't want anything to do with it. They don't talk about that over here. Living for God is a major way that we do good for God. But what does it cost you? I, no, look, I don't want anybody to go to prison and be flogged. But would you? Maybe it's a good day to, a good time to evaluate. What are you willing to give to serve God? What are you willing to give up to serve God? Maybe you take a week next year to go on a mission trip instead of another vacation to Destin and pick up shells. Maybe you give up your Saturday, July 16th, instead of mowing your grass in the heat. Maybe you'll go serve a neighbor or serve with our serve day. Maybe you'll lead your home towards Jesus. Instead of putting on more national news or football games, you'll open the word of God and teach your kids how to serve Jesus. Sometimes taking a stand for God will cost you, but it's always a price worth paying. You know, the average American Christian goes to church once, maybe twice per month. For most Christians, it doesn't even cost you an hour and a half on Sunday. The average Christian in America gives 2% of their income to the Lord, to the church in tithing. When the scripture says we give 10%, most Christians won't even give that. I'm just asking, what does it cost you? What does it cost your calendar? What's it cost your reputation? As for me and my house, I love how G Joshua said, we're gonna serve God. It doesn't matter. You're not gonna push me out of integrity. You're not gonna push me to lie on a business deal. You're not gonna push me to have sex outside of my marriage or to do something ungodly with another person. You're not gonna push me to do that. Well, then you can't have this job. You can't get this opportunity. Well, that's fine then, because I trust God more than I trust my sin. So let me come out of the text for a little bit, because now I need to just, this is why I was like, man, I just wanna preach. It's getting summertime, we gotta preach. I wanna wrap the message with a different direction. Stand strong no matter what. That's why I titled the sermon. It's what I want to title. You need to write these notes down if you're not already. I have a lot to give you quickly, but I want to teach you a framework that I believe will help you and me to understand clearly how to frame the world we live in with what's happening around us and how do we respond as Christians who stand strong no matter what. Honestly, as the church, I feel so burdened to call the church to stand for God, stand for the gospel, stand for truth, stand for people, especially as our world progresses more and more away from God. I'm never surprised by the world being worldly. But I am surprised when the church gives up our voice of authority. So when I say the world, let me just give you some clarity about this. 
The world is a term that we see in scripture. Jesus used that as a term to describe the prevailing culture. That is secular culture, non-faith culture, the human perspective apart from God, outside of God's direction. So the world, the culture of of the day, the prevailing culture has always been at odds. The kingdom of the world has always been at odds with the kingdom of God, where Jesus reigns as Lord of all. Jesus has taught us multiple times in John's gospel and other parts of the New Testament that Satan is the ruler of this world. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he's the God, lowercase g, he's the God or the ruler, the boss of this world. And, And Jesus teaches us that he has power among those who don't know him, don't follow Christ. And for the Christian, he has no power over us unless we give it to him, but ultimately, He has power over non-believers, and until Christ returns, he has power, but he will be cast down ultimately. He was defeated at the cross and resurrection, but he'll be defeated forever and permanently at the return of Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, the devil is the ruler of the world, and he's the one who's blinded the eyes of unbelievers, which is why we pray for non-Christian family and friends and neighbors that their eyes be opened, that they can see clearly the gospel of Jesus. Now, I can show you more, but just know this, the devil's real. And he's at work and he hates your guts and he wants to deceive you and destroy you and kill you. And he wants that for the whole world, the whole civilization, because he knows God loves everybody. And so he hates everybody because he hates God. But let me tell you this. Uh, Jesus said in John 10, the devil comes to steal, to kill and destroy. If any of your life has looked like stealing, killing and destroying, God didn't do that. You go, why did my family fall apart? Where was God? No, God didn't do that. The devil did that. The devil's been attacking you since you started breathing. But Jesus said, but in Christ, We can have abundant life and authority over Satan. You have to understand the devil is a punk. He's defeated. He's nothing. If he stood right here face to face with me, I would not shake one bit because I have all authority like Paul over the devil there. You and I have authority over the devil and all the schemes of the devil. But why don't we walk in victory? When the world feels dark and the world seems like it's winning and the world feels like the power of the devil is leading, we get scared and we hunker down and we go, I don't want to offend. I don't want to rattle cages. Why don't we stand for God and stand against the devil and walk with a biblical framework to stand up against the devil, to kick him in the face, to stand for God in godless times? So let me tell you four ways to do that. Write this down. First of all, stand for God, for the love of God. Stand up for God. There's an old hymn, stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the Lord. I didn't grow up in church, so I don't know any more of the lyrics. (laughs) Stand up for God. Stand up for God at work. Stand up for God when you're pulled over. Stand up for God with your kids. Stand up for God in your singleness, in your purity. Stand up for God in your married life and your purity. Stand for God in everything you do. In Matthew chapter 10, we promote the gospel. Matthew 10, I'm not giving you the verses. I want you to write it down and study it. Jesus said in verse 32 and three, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I'll acknowledge them before my father. In other words, Jesus said, if you'll stand up for me, I'll stand up for you. And then he says the very opposite in the next sentence, but whoever denies me before people, I'll deny you before the father. Here's who gets the ownership of choice, you do. If you'll stand for God, he'll stand with you. If you deny God, if you deny Jesus, he's like, no problem. I don't have to stand for you before the father. I'll deny you too. Stand for God. You and I have to decide, who do we live for? Do we live for our social status? Do we live for the culture? Do we live for our political team or our social team or our gender team? Or do we live for our identity team? Or do we live for God? No matter what, I will live for Jesus. Listen, Joshua said in Joshua 24, he's telling the entire nation of Israel, they're barking at him and they're complaining and they wanna go pagan routes. And he said, look, you guys, I've given you the choice, life and death. And he said, you decide what you're gonna do. But as for me and my house, I feel like he got a little Southern attitude. He's like, for me and my house, you better know we're gonna serve the Lord. 
That's like real Cajun talk fast. We will serve the Lord. There's no wavering on that. I'm all in. Stand for God when the world is spiraling down. Stand for Jesus when your extended family doesn't support you. Stand for God when you're overcoming your own temptations. Stand for God on behalf of your job. Stand for God in the midst of your kids, with your spouse, in your singleness, with your roommates, for your church. Stand for God in your neighborhood. If nobody else is standing up for Jesus, you be bold about your faith in Christ. Decide right now, I will stand for God. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. He was a former Christ hater, gospel hater, church destroyer. He gets radically saved and he goes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, it is the power of God. You know what this world needs is to see the power of God. And Paul says, the power of God is the gospel that Jesus died and resurrected to save everyone who believes. Here's what Paul said. God, the power of God is in the gospel, and I'm not ashamed of that. I'm never gonna pretend to be a Christian. I'm never gonna back down on my faith. I'm proud to stand up for the gospel because I know it's the only way anybody and everybody can come to salvation as they believe in the gospel of Jesus. The only message, the only good news that can actually change people is the gospel, that Jesus died for the sins of the world, raised from the dead for salvation of the world, for all people, and we believe that. Listen, he's still changing lives. He still can change everyone because he's good. I will never say Jesus isn't Lord. I will never suggest there's another way to get to God. I will boldly believe and stand with the gospel of Jesus. I'm not trying to build a platform or galvanize a base here. I'm telling you because the Bible says it. I will boldly believe and stand with Jesus forever because it is the power of God to save everyone who believes in Jesus. Stand for God, church. Second, stand for others. I'm yelling louder than you're clapping. Your encouragement helps me. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I said I needed my amen corner. I feel like I'm catching my breath and I need your help, man. Come on. Stand for others. Jesus taught in Mark 12. They're asking, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest single commandment. And then he gives two things, which you think Jesus could count. But they're tethered together like braids. He said, the most important command is this. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, the second of the most important command is and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said, there's no commandment greater than these. Look at me. You can't say, I love God, I love Jesus, but I can't stand those people. It doesn't work. You also can't fully love people if you don't have a genuine love for God. You may like people, have an affinity towards people, and be compassionate towards people, but you can't, like truly the way God designs you to love people, love people, if you don't fully love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. They're tethered together. It is an overflow of our love for God that flows into loving people. It's a dual nature thing. We love God and we love people. So loving people means we stand up for people. We stand for the weak and the marginalized, the oppressed, the poor. We stand by being generous, by sharing the gospel, by serving, by holding people accountable. Standing for others is weeping with those who weep and calling sin a sin and mourning with those who mourn. We don't wait for more facts to come out and try to justify bad behavior. We cry and we weep and lament. We protect the innocent. We defend the defenseless. We decide we're not gonna lie about people. We're not gonna gossip about people and we're gonna forgive because we stand for others. It's standing up for a slave girl by delivering her from a demon. James 1, 27, he says, pure religion and undefiled before God is to visit orphans and widows. 
which is both ends of the age spectrum. Paul, James is using a, a, a trick that they did in the Proverbs to give the, the, the ends of something and include everything, the light and dark, left and right, the old and the young, the widows and the orphans. And, and James is saying it's to care for the marginalized, the oppressed, the, the victims, and those who can't care for themselves in all age categories and to keep your life unstained from the world. We care for the needy, we build houses, we bless others, we, we stand for God and we stand for others. Third, stand for truth. And you go, what is truth? And honestly, I think truth is under assault and under attack and it's being brought into question so much. Deconstructionists wanted to determine that truth is totally relative and it's flexible, flexible and fluid. But we gotta decide, man, either God is true and everyone else a liar, or if, if either all of this is true or none of it is, right? So Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, the writer of the psalm says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of wicked, doesn't stand in the way of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law and the word and the heart of God. And on God's word, he meditates day and night. Our world is lying about all kinds of stuff. Our world is lying about family, about sex and gender and sexuality. Our world's lying about salvation, about politics, about God, about money. And we stand for the truth of God. We stand on the word of God. The word is our focus and the truth of God is Jesus Christ, the son in the God in the flesh who gave his life for us, his heart and his will manifest in his word. It doesn't matter what laws change. We follow the word of God. It doesn't matter who the, the, the law says can marry now. We marry according to the word of God. It doesn't matter what the law says you can smoke and drink. We do what the word says to walk in purity and sobriety before God. We don't take our cues from the world. We take our cues from the truth. John 17, Jesus prayed for you and me, Christians that would come later. Jesus prayed. He prayed to the Father. He said, God, don't take them out of the world. Some of us would love just a ride to heaven. Jesus said, no, keep them in the world, but keep them from the evil one. Because they're not of this world, just like I'm not of this world. Hey, just, did you see that? Jesus said, you and I are not of this world. And then look what Jesus prayed for us sanctify them that means set them apart make them pure and holy sanctify them by your truth your word is truth jesus is saying i'm true and the word of god is true and let that set the church apart finally stand up for god stand up for people stand up for truth and now this has a negative slant but just hear me out stand up against evil when Paul saw that young girl with a demon, he didn't hate on her, he hated on the demon in her. Stand up against evil. Call evil what it is. Call evil what it is in your own life. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 15, in the Lord's prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You gotta stand against evil in your own life. You are not overcome by sin, you're overcome by the Spirit of God. And you are an overcomer. And you can look the devil in the face, you can look your flesh in the face and say, I'm not a victim of my own desires. I live for God. I'm not a victim of my orientation or my upbringing or the culture. I live for God and I resist the devil in Jesus' name. James 4, 7, he says, submit yourselves to God and resist the devil and the devil will flee from you. You gotta understand, it's as simple as going, get out of my life, get out of my way, get out of my thoughts, get out of my family, get out of my home. You have authority over the devil, and church, look at me. 
exercise your authority over him. No weapon formed against you will prosper. You're more than a conqueror in Christ. Evil in our culture doesn't get to be evil in your home, in your kids, in your family. You're a child of God. And evil has no authority in your life. Resist Satan. Resist him off your life and your kids and your spouse and your singleness and your, your coworkers and your job. The devil has to flee from you. If you resist the devil, he has to flee. It's not a struggle. You've already won. Stop believing a lie that you're in this long-term struggle with the devil. Well, I'm struggling, struggling. No, you ain't struggling. You're just doing. You need to stand up flat-footed and say, devil, get the hell out of my house. When I think about standing against evil, speak up and be bold against sin and evil. It's wrong to be a racist. It's wrong to lie and to steal, to abuse, to molest. It's wrong to abort babies. It's wrong to embrace sexual sin as healthy and normal lifestyle. Pride has always been a sin. It got Satan kicked out of heaven and celebrating it for a month is never God's will. Greed is evil. Gossip is evil. Hate and unforgiveness is evil. Taking advantage of the weak is sin. You may not like the word sin, but these are God's words and we stand against evil in our lives and in the sphere of our influence. Stand with God. He says, your devil, your adversary, the devil, prowls like a lion seeking who he can devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Will you and I stand for God? Will we stand for others? Will we stand for truth? Will we stand against evil in these evil days? Lord, to the, to the glory of God and in the name of Jesus, we look to you today to just change our hearts and lives forever change our minds, the way we think, the way we process, God. Change us from the inside out, Lord God, to be people of truth who stand strong no matter what. Lord, we want to stand for your word and for the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We want to stand up, stand up for Jesus. And Lord, if there's any evil or sin in our lives that's confronting us or keeping us from standing boldly for you, God, we ask for your forgiveness. We submit to deliverance and repentance today in Jesus' name. Can we just pray a prayer of response and confession? Come on, take a moment while you're sitting there and just take a moment and do business with God. Come on, respond to God right now while you're sitting there. Lord, I heard the word. I'm going to hear it. I'm going to respond to it. I'm going to listen to what I've heard today. I'm going to stand for you no matter what. Come on, would you, would you speak to the Lord right now in your own space, in your own place? Talk to God right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. pray this with me around the room. Say, God, I'm all in. Say, I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sin. He raised from the dead for me so that I can live my whole life in your kingdom, according to your word, according to your plan. Say, I confess my sin. I receive your forgiveness. I believe Jesus raised from the dead so that I can have eternal life. Set me free, God, from whatever is holding me back in Jesus' name. I pray this, say, God, I will stand for you no matter what, in Jesus' name. I'm all in to the glory of God. Come on, let's celebrate that and tell the Lord amen today.